the greatest sermon ever preached. That's not mine. That's Jesus. Amen. And I've never preached a series on this, but we're going to do a series on it. It's going to last quite a while, but we may do other things in between. But, but this is an amazing thing because this is, this is what the early churches, uh, this is what the early church used as their catechism, if you know what a catechism is. This is the curriculum that they used. And people, before they can attend a worship service, the first three centuries, before they can even come to church, there's no such thing as visitors, <laughs> no such thing as guests, no surprises. They knew exactly who was coming. And, and you had to spend at least a year and, and, and in these teachings, and they taught from the Sermon on the Mount. Isn't that amazing? Because they felt like, I mean, they would eventually get to doctrine, but more importantly than what you believe, it's how you behave. And you know what? I just feel like if you behave right, you usually wind up thinking right. Doctrine just seems to follow, doesn't it? You know, no, when I got saved, I was, I was in Athens, and I don't mean Georgia, and I don't mean Ohio. I was in Athens, Greece, where I got saved. And nobody taught me how, you know, but the Holy Spirit would just, you, you just, when you start living right, the doctrine just lines up. It's when per, people start wanting their own personal agendas that, you know, that's when the, the doctrine gets messed up. So these are important, important messages. And they start out with the eight Beatitudes. We did two last week. You can get, a, you can get the tape or you can get, go to the website and, and listen to them. Um, but the eight, the, the called, it's called the Beatitudes. But another, I like this word for it. it it's the beautiful attitudes. Some people have attitudes, but they're not so beautiful. But if you're a Christian, these are the attitudes you should have. And, and, and they all, and all eight start off by saying, blessed. If this is your attitude, you are blessed. And it's not blessed like, oh, I'm going to get a raise or I'm going to get a new car or, you know, God, you know, all that's part of it. You know, God blesses his people. I mean, God gives you things. Uh, but, but this word blessed really means to be approved. You see, God loves everybody, but he doesn't approve of everybody. And by the way, that's a good way to live. You have to love everybody, but it doesn't mean you have to approve of the way they live. Come on. But you have to demonstrate love. Come on. You got to demonstrate it. I mean, they could be wicked. <laughs> they could be into some of the things that really bother us. <laughs> I won't make a list because you know you got your own list. There are things that really bother you about certain people, but guess what? Jesus died for them too. Guess what? Jesus made them in his image. Yeah, the image is a little warped right now, but... But they were made in his image. And you have got to respect and honor that image and love them anyway. Oh, you're going to hear that a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. Hello. 
See, that's, these are going to be tough messages. And I, 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 I promise you there won't be one person in this place going away from these messages saying, oh, that, that, that's nothing. I lived like that all my life. You lie. You are just plain lying. You're either lying or deceived. Uh, you know, one of the two because you're not. Listen, it's hard to live by the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to find that out every week. You're going to go away saying, I don't know. All we can do is our best. And listen, God gives you the ability to say yes to those things that look like Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? It's the so blessed, approved. Approved is the man. Approved by God is the woman. And, and another way to understand that is, is this, uh, this book that's called The Applause of Heaven. When you live like this, God stands up and applauds you. I want to be applauded by God. Not just loved by God, but applauded. Amen. Because at the end of your life, some of you, some of you may get to heaven. Well, hopefully all of you will get to heaven. But not everyone will hear, well done. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. Not everyone's going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of the Lord. Oh, come on now, saints. Amen. If this is too hard, just don't come the next 12 weeks because it's going to get rough. Not everyone is approved, but everyone is loved. So let's look at the third beatitude, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, wow, for they and only them shall inherit. The, that's important. Only them shall inherit the earth. Now, we know that means when Jesus comes back, but it also means to some degree we are ruling and reigning even now. Even now, we are ruling and reigning. Even now, we're occupying our soul. Wherever you are, that's God's kingdom on earth. When you go to work, God's kingdom is going to work. When you go to the store, God's kingdom is going to the store. Amen. And it's getting harder and harder to influence people because they're all six feet away. You can't even be friendly anymore. Hey, stranger, you know, it's like, we stopped passing out the cards for now because you can't even, you know, you can't give a card out. You know, here, catch. So, so this is so opposite, so opposite of the way that the world does it. It doesn't make sense. The meek shall inherit the earth. People laugh at you now when you say things like that. We all know that doesn't work. It's the rich, powerful, and famous who are inheriting the earth. It's the manipulators. It's, 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 it's not corporate America. It's not the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, the, they're the ones that are occupying the planet, but their term is temporary. Come on. You know, it, it's a paradox, right? The blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But, the, but Jesus always preached paradoxes. He said, if you're going to be, he said, if you'll be last, I'll make you first. You have to give to receive. You have to die to live. 
If you lose yourself, you'll find yourself. Come on, paradoxes. If you're, if you're the least, you'll be the greatest. If you're poor, you're rich. If you're weak, you're strong. If you'll serve, I'll let you rule. None of that makes sense in the world. That's why Christians stand out in this world. And it's why eventually we will inherit it all. Give him praise this morning. Amen. Wow. So next to the Sermon on the Mount, let's get into this. Let's talk about this. The title of this, by the way, there's kind of two messages in one. But I want to talk about gentle giants. Blessed are the meek, gentle giants. But next to the Sermon on the Mount, when it came to doctrine, more or less, the one thing they would talk about is what's called the Apostles' Creed. How many know what that is? Amen. If you were raised in mainline churches, you know what the Apostles' Creed is. I, I, could, I could quote it by heart because if I didn't, the nuns would beat me. I think I still have scars. I don't know. <laughs> Lord, help us. And, and, it's, and it's neat that only, there are only two names in the Apostles' Creed. Mary, born of the Virgin Mary, and suffered under Pontius Pilate. Those are the only two names. I'm sure Pontius Pilate's down there in hell saying, well, I'm glad they're repeating my name. I mean, why does his name get in there? Because he is the exact opposite. He is the the epitome of the way the world runs. When Jesus appeared before him, he was large and in charge. He had all the power. He said, I can condemn you to death or I can set you free. And Jesus just looked at him and said, buddy, you have no idea. All I have to do is wink and and I can call 7,000 angels here. Come on. This is the definition of meekness because meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not timidity. It's not indecisiveness. It's not being wishy-washy. It's not about uh, being not, not having any confidence in yourself. It's not being somebody's uh, welcome mat, you know, uh, so that they wipe their feet on. No, no, no. Jesus was the meekest man that ever, that ever was uh, on the planet. Come on, church. Moses was one of, the, one of the most humble men, but yet he led millions of people. Meekness. No, no, no. Meekness is not weakness. To be meek oh, is Jesus laying down his life when he could have destroyed them all. You know what meekness is? Restrained strength. Gentle giants. It's not being weak and ineffective. It is withholding your power. It's forgiving. It's trusting instead of taking things into your own hands. Mary and Pilate, exact opposites. Mary was insignificant, a 16-year-old girl. She had no power, no authority, no influence. Yet that's the one Jesus chose. And the man with all the power was rejected. And that's the way we inherit the earth. And that's the way we inherit the kingdom. Wow. You know, one person said this. 
about Pilate and Mary. He said one tried to form Jesus by beating him and trying to submit him, and the other was formed by him. So the world's trying to form us. The world's trying to dictate what the church ought to be. And, it's, and by the way, it's dead and non-existent. That's what they want. So the world's trying to form us. It's called manipulation. But if you're a child of God, He's forming you. Come on. She became pregnant. She was formed by Jesus. I want to be formed by Jesus instead of me trying to do my own thing and forming everyone else. Oh, church, I don't know if you're getting this. Come on now. Today we either follow the spirit of Pilate, the Pilate spirit, or we follow the spirit of meekness because only meekness will inherit the earth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, uh, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. We just leave it in God's hands because we know God ultimately will avenge us. If not in this life, in the next life, listen, what's right will eventually be right. And what's wrong will eventually be judged. This nonsense about everybody's going to heaven doesn't make sense. Wow. And yet people preach it. How about Luke 23 and 34? Then Jesus said, Father, on the cross, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You know, I would say, yeah, they do. They they hung me on the cross. But they don't. And they divided his garments and cast lots. So that's, that's the meek. That's the meek. And I'd ask you how many of you are meek, but if you raise your hand. Let's talk about the next one, the fourth one. Let's talk about the fourth one. And, and the title of that is, You Are What You Eat. Yeah, uh-oh. Not sure who said that, but yeah. This is going to get hairy here. Matthew 5 and 6, right? It says, blessed, approved, approved are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not the Whopper, not jelly cream donuts. I won't even preach that in the next one because they'll be hungry at that point, you know. Thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Ah, you, you say, oh, God, fill me. Make some room. Oh, God, I want you to fill me. You're just dining at the world's table while asking God to fill you. If going to Cedar Point is the answer to all life's problems, You better have a season pass and wear a mask. Oh, my God. Can you imagine going to Cedar Point? Everyone's got a mask. Anyway, Jesus, help us. You are what you eat. 
I was reading about Elvis Presley. Y'all remember him? Oh, I forget my audience. How many of you have heard of him? I never was an Elvis fan. But anyway, anyway, Elvis owned three jets. Three. Why does one man need three jets? He had three jets. Remember, this is way back, right? He had several cars. One of them was a 1960 Cadillac limo. He had it body sprayed with 40 coats of paint. And the paint had crushed diamonds and fish shells. You'd think it would smell a little fishy after a while. I don't know. Uh, uh, He had a pager inside that. He had a gold-plated telephone. He had an electric razor, a TV, gold-plated, a record player, a refrigerator. I mean, this thing was loaded. You could live in this car, right? Who knows how much he paid for it? But you all know how it ended for Elvis. He was eating good. (laughs) And it showed at the end of his life. (laughs) But, but, But it all ended badly. You can have it all and lose it. I think last week I talked about Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes had it all. But where did, where did he end up? He was an opioid addict and, and a recluse, a hermit. Not very happy with all his money. It all ended badly. What are you hungry for? Listen, when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, I want you to catch this because back then people were hungry, I mean the common people, were hungry more than they were filled. It's hard for us to understand thirst when when there's water literally anywhere we go. If you say, I'm thirsty, how many know you can have a drink within a minute? (laughs) I don't care where you are. You'll be driving down the highway, next exit, Starbucks, I'm there. You, you can, we don't understand the concept, but when they said hunger and thirst, most people, it was a daily struggle just to get anything to eat. They were hungry more than they were not. We don't, we don't relate to this because, quite honestly, church, we're, we're gluttons. We're, we're full of it. We're, we are up to here. Amen. We, we don't understand hunger. We don't understand thirst. We don't understand going without. And it's no wonder then that we can't translate that into the spiritual world. And in the spiritual world, never in the history of the world have people been more exposed to the Word of God. Do you realize that in the first 1,700 years of the church, 99% of people did not know how to read and didn't have a Bible until Gutenberg, right? Because there was no printing press. You can't, you can't go to a bookstore and buy a Bible. You have to be very rich and wait for about a year for them to copy it <laughs> for you to have a Bible. Come on, church. The only time you heard the word is when you went to church and somebody preached to you. 
Wow. And they didn't say open your Bibles to. That's why the Sermon on the Mount was so important. They would memorize it. They would learn it. It became how they walked, how they talked, how they, how they moved and had their being. Amen. They didn't have a Bible. They had the teachings of Jesus Christ. And it changed their lives. You are what you eat. Psalm 63 and verse 1. Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Right? We can't relate to that. But somehow we've got to relate to that in our spirit. That when we get up in the morning, we need to be hungry for him. There needs to be a thirst within us that wants more of him. Psalms 17, 15, right? As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. I'm for you. Thirsty for you. Kind of. This kind of thing is alien to the church world today. Come on. We're not hungry for God. How many people come to church? And I know it doesn't apply. But how many come to church because that's just what we do? How many come to church because it's just Sunday? And how many people wake up on Sunday morning and say, I can't? Not because they promised to sing your favorite song. That's why we don't tell you ahead of time what we're going to sing. I don't even know. They don't even know. I don't. Hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Ah, it's the only path. It's not just for once in a while. It's for now. We're just exposed to too many things. You know what they tell I'm sure you've heard this. They say don't feed too many sweets to young children. Not just because they're bouncing off the walls. You know, I give them a, I give them a Tootsie Roll and they say, you're on your own. <laughs> Before, you know, that's why I try to do it after church when I can. I send them home with sugar. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. You got it. I'm so proud of you. The millennials are going, ah. So, so they, they say, because here's why. Because if you don't burn the sugar up, sugar, and it's kind of a survival thing when we were, you know, a thousand years ago, right? The sugar turns to a, to a fat cell, and that fat cell never goes away. And those fat cells are just sitting in you going like this, feed me. Now, you might can handle one or two fat cells saying, feed me. But when you have 10,000 fat cells, see, they never go away. Once they're created, they just sit there going, feed me. Right? Have you ever gotten away from sweets and you're doing great and you've gone for weeks or months and you haven't had any, any bread or pasta or sweets and, and you're doing really good? And then you say, well, okay, I, 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 deserve, I deserve a ho-ho. Ah! Oh, I'm preaching now. Preach on. <laughs> Give me that little Debbie, little Debbie. 
and you eat that little Debbie, and you think, ah, that was good. And then you notice there's a whole box of little Debbies. You eat one, and those fat cells come alive. See, they've been kind of shutting down, like, you're starving me. Ah, like the Wicked Witch and the Wizard of Oz. Or just, ah. They don't ever go away, but they just kind of. But if you, if you throw some sugar at them, Good morning. I'm alive. It's like a resurrection. And they're just like, feed me, feed me. How many know you can't just eat a couple potato chips? If you haven't eaten it, you, you can't just eat one. Amen. When you come alive like that, that's called a binge, right? All of a sudden, three bags of chips later, you're laying there like, oh my God, what have I just done? And your fat cells are laying there like, oh, this is amazing. Give me more. You cannot feed enough sugar to a fat cell. I got to make you laugh a little bit because these sermons are too hard. Amen. Junk food is, junk food will fill you, but it won't nourish you. They call it empty calories. Because all it's feeding is those fat cells that are just loving it and eating up. In fact, if you feed them too much, they reproduce. They say, I can't handle all this sugar. Boom, make me another one. And fat cells never go away, so they're always there. That's why that temptation is always there. But I, but listen, I don't know if you've ever been there in the spirit realm, but the more you get of God, the more you want of God. The more time you spend in prayer, the more time you want to spend in prayer. It gets addictive. You have spiritual Holy Ghost cells in you made and created by God. And if you ever activate those cells in you, oh, my God, you won't just come to church on Sunday. You'll become a living, breathing fireball for the Lord Jesus Christ. I say to the spiritual cells in you, come alive, come alive in Jesus' name. You are what you eat. Give him a praise. Praise him, church. This is the way it works in the spirit. John 4, 14. Let me give you some scriptures real quick. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain. Fat cells. How many are helped by the fat cell thing? How many are discouraged because of the fat cell thing? How many are mad at your parents because of the fat cell thing? Yeah, it's all your parents' fault. Maybe grandparents' fault, though, when I think about it. Every time, every time the kids come, here, candy, ice cream, want more pizza. It will become in him a fountain, not just a cup of water, a fountain springing up into everlasting life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst, for he satisfies the longing soul, not just feed people who really don't, who really aren't hungry. Do you ever prepare a meal and say, y'all, come on, eat. I'm not hungry. Why? Because you snuck into the refrigerator and had an ice cream cone. What are you sneaking to get that's ruining your appetite? 
I got to say that again because apparently you're not getting it. What are you eating that's ruining your appetite? Fills the hungry soul. The hungry soul. Oh, we don't get that. We're not living like this, church. This is why there's no revival. The hungry soul. Emphasize. Operative word. Hungry. Longing. How about Isaiah 55, 1 and 2? Y'all can come on up. Ho, everyone who thirsts. Everyone who what? Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come to, and you have no money. Come buy and eat. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? That that ding dong may quench your hunger, but it didn't fill you. Empty calories. And your wages for what does not satisfy. What are you spending your money on? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself, wow, in abundance. Listen, follow the pattern. There's a pattern here. Listen, if you are here last week, there's a pattern. Watch it. First of all, you have to be poor in spirit. I need you. Second of all, you have to... Be willing to mourn, to weep over your sin. I, God, I need you, and I have failed you. Number three, be a gentle giant. Be a gentle giant. Choose meekness and humility. And then number four, get hungry. Listen, it's really important you follow this procedure here. Poor in spirit, mourn over sin, gentle giant. Get Hungry, because you are what you eat. John 4.10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He would have. If you had asked for the right thing, if you would have gotten hungry for the right thing, he'd have given it to you. Wow. There's a lot of things you're not getting from God because, frankly, honestly, you're not hungry for it. There's no appetite for that. Are you getting me? There, what's, what, what gets you hungry? I mean, you could be looking forward to a vacation. But when do we really look forward to being in the presence of God? 